God's institutions to God's instructions. A promise from the Most High is more than just a promise. I'm Tim. And I'm Miss. And today we're going to talk about covenants. In today's society, we don't make covenants, we make agreements. And many times those agreements aren't honored unless you're dealing with a very conscientious person. However, during biblical times, the making of covenants was a very serious thing. Sure was. And I promise to do my best to tell you what I know about covenants. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so you can email us at redpilltorah at gmail.com. Follow us on redpilltorah.podbean.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Google Play. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. It's our way and your way of getting this good news out to the world. So in this podcast, we want to talk about covenants. In Bible times and in the ancient Middle East, the concept of a covenant was well known. A covenant is an agreement between at least two parties. Now in modern times, uh, we write contracts with clauses that describe related conditions, expected actions, and ways to end the agreement or to get out of it. With a covenant, the parties involved had to keep their word under penalty of death. Mm. The only way out of a covenant was feet first, as they say in the Western movies. And by feet first, you mean the dead person is carried out horizontally, right? Well, hey, that's the way they do it in the Western movies. Well, to seal a covenant in ancient times, there was often a ceremony involving blood. In some cases, the parties to the covenant would cut themselves and exchange blood in some kind of way. Another ceremony involved the participants cutting animal carcasses in half. They would walk between the pieces, signifying the acceptance of the terms of the covenant and agreeing that if either broke the covenant, the offending party would end up like the dead animals on the ground. Mm -hmm. Another example of a covenant ceremony would be to have a large, lavish meal, and that would be shared by the parties to the covenant. There are different types of covenants, and we see examples of each one in the Bible. A covenant can be one-sided, meaning that only one of the parties has to perform something. Imagine that Miss and I are making a covenant. The terms are, I'll go out and find a delicious meal for Miss. I will bring it back to her within one hour. Now, what kind of covenant would that be? It would be a delicious one-sided covenant. Hmm. I don't have anything to do. The only requirement is that you get the meal and have it here within one hour. Well, that's right, Miss. In that covenant, I would be the only one who has to do something. Now, we could make that one-sided covenant a two-sided covenant, you know. Mm-hmm. You could get the meal, I could get the dessert and drinks, and we could meet back here in one hour to share a lovely dinner together. Now, that sounds pretty good, Mama. I hope our listeners understand the difference between these types of covenants, even though my example is kind of lighthearted. Now, there's another covenant that we see in the Bible. It's called a conditional covenant. A conditional covenant is one where one party agrees to do X if the other party does Y. For example, if Tim agrees to binge watch Family Feud with me, I'll agree to make my famous barbecue wings. Hmm. 
Sounds uh, good so far. And if I don't make the wings, Tim doesn't have to watch Family Feud. He only has to watch if I do my part, which is to make my yummy, mouth-watering, delicious barbecue wings. Yeah, we've used a few food examples on this podcast already. These examples make me grateful that the Father has blessed us with such wonderful things to eat and enjoy. Mm -hmm. And remembering your delicious wings makes me think of your love for me. I appreciate the care that you take when you prepare them just right. Thanks, Daddy. I appreciate that. And it reminds me of our next point about covenants. They can involve tokens or visible reminders of the covenant. That's right. In the Bible, the rainbow is a token of Elohim's covenant with Noah and the world. The practice of circumcision is another example of a token of divine covenant. A wedding ring may be a good modern-day example of this kind of token. Yeah, I think so. Like a marriage, a covenant was often kind of like a lifelong bond of fellowship in a way. To seal the deal in ancient covenant ceremonies, a god was often invoked to serve as an overseer of sorts. Hmm. Now, of course, the idols used then had no actual function, but no doubt the parties to the covenant felt some sense of responsibility and weight of the ritual's importance as a result of the idol's presence. Now, covenants were a part of life in the ancient Middle East. And even though we don't make covenants that way um, back as they did back then, the covenants in the Bible have great relevance to us today. Although some modern teachers suggest that select Bible covenants are no longer valid, we disagree, right, Dad? That's right. We want to look at some foundational covenants in the Bible that believers should recognize. And as we prepare to look at those covenants, there's another point our listeners should know. The idea of a deity making a covenant with mere humans seems to be a uniquely Hebrew concept. In other um, cultures, the deity was just an overseer and not a party to any covenants. In the scriptures, though, we see the Elohim of Israel making covenants with humans. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. Our Elohim used the man-made concept of a covenant to assure men that he would perform his word. There's even an instance in Hebrews 6.13 in which the writer points out that Elohim even evoked a deity when he made a covenant with Abraham. Verse 13 says, When Elohim made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply you. I think it's an awesome thing to see the almighty, eternal Elohim using man's convention of covenants to communicate his faithfulness to mere men. We may never know why he humbled himself so many times to reach out to us. That reminds me of a scripture found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. Hmm. It says, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Messiah Yeshua, who, although he existed in the form of Elohim, did not consider being uh, equal to Elohim a thing to be grasped, like Satan did, well, I'm saying this part, like Satan did in trying to usurp the preeminence of Elohim. Mm -hmm. But he emptied himself, 
and took on the form of a slave, becoming the likeness of a man and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Now, when Yeshua said that he does these things he saw his father do, he meant it. Just as the father humbled himself to reach out to man, the son humbled himself to restore a broken covenant. But more on that point later. Wow, that's a big one too. Understanding covenants is vital for believers today. We now know that it's through the covenants of our Elohim that we can have relationship with him. That goes for Jews and Gentiles. Our podcasts numbered four and five, and I think they're called Grafted In. In those podcasts, we talked about being grafted in, into the family, and covenants of Israel. We read Ephesians 2, verse 12, which described Gentiles as being without the Messiah, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, without hope and without Elohim in this world. Mm. Now that's a terrifying and hopeless state to be in. Mm -hmm. As we journey through this topic together, I pray you will see that there is no other way to have fellowship with the Father except the way he made through his covenant. Yeshua is the way, and he was born in fulfillment of the Father's covenant. Mm -hmm. No covenant, no Yeshua, and no hope for anyone. Wow. Some believers have been taught that the church has replaced Israel as Jehovah's chosen people. Some consider the church spiritual Israel and take no thought of the Jewish people or Israel. If that were true, it would suggest that Jehovah abandoned the covenant he made with Abraham and with Israel at Mount Sinai. Remember, when Israel sinned with the golden calf and the father offered to start all over with Moses, Moses' reply was to ask for mercy for the people. In Exodus 32, verse 13, Moses said to Elohim, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants to whom you swore by your own self. Our Elohim keeps his covenants. He's not us. He's, he's not like us. Prone to forget his promises. Jeremiah 31, verses 35 and 36 says, This is what Jehovah says, Who gives the sun for light in the day, and the moon and stars for light at night who divides the sea when its waves roar. Yehovah Tsevaot is his name. If those ordinances, day and night, cease to exist, then the seed of Israel will cease to be a nation forever. That means if the seed of Abraham stops being a nation before Elohim, we're all in trouble, because there will be no day or night. Fortunately for us, Elohim said in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will not stop. Amen. Amen. So if you believed that the church replaced natural Israel, we want to ask a question. What would you do if you discovered that the way you live your life and some of your beliefs were not in line with God's instructions. Would you take the blue pill and believe that God's promise to Abraham is now all spiritualized and there's no natural born remnant from Israel 
who walks with God? Or would you take the red pill, repent, and connect with the natural-born remnants of faithful Israel? Only you can answer that question. We have a lot more to discuss on the topic of covenant. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Go back and listen again to what we shared. Share this podcast with a friend or two, or ten. Think about the covenants. Thanks for spending 15 or so minutes with us at Red Pill Tour, where you can handle the truth. truth.